Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. One hundred sixty-seven days in space, over thirty-eight hours performing spacewalks, traveling more than six million miles, making hundreds of orbits about the Earth. But how did I get there? This is the making of an ordinary spaceman. I'm Clayton C. Anderson, and these are my stories. When we last left off, uh, we had shared with our podcast listeners in the making of an ordinary spaceman that being on STS-118, you know, I was training with that crew. Scott Kelly was our commander. Uh, Charlie Hobaugh was the pilot, and everything. We were in the same office together at NASA, and life was rocking and rolling. But I could never get anyone to agree that a press release was coming. Right. Oh, you mean to be on that mission? On, to be on STS-118. And then our, our lives really did change even more than that. When the shuttle for STS-117, sitting on the launch pad, ready to launch that crew with uh, astronaut uh, C.J. Sturkow as the commander, they were prepping to go, and the vehicle was hit by hail. Right. Right, and I think that's where we left off. And the damage to the ha- from the hailstorm pummeled the external tank, right, that's covered with orange foam that everyone recognizes on TV. Mm-hmm. And that hail damage was deemed great enough that they had to wheel the entire stack back to the they vehicle assembly it, building. They repaired it right on the pad. No, they wheeled it back. Well, we'll beg to differ on that and look it up later. Okay, but I'm pretty sure they wheeled it back. That's what delayed everything for so long. But regardless of that, the mission was delayed. Yes. And that delay changed our lives considerably. Yes. yes. Because eventually decisions were made with respect to when they could launch 117 after the repair. And those decisions were going to fluctuate the situation because Sonny Williams, who was living on board the International Space Station at the time, and who was the person, the astronaut that I was scheduled to replace, um, she was, her stay was being potentially being extended for longer than NASA wanted. Because the 117 was, um, or because 118 was being delayed, because right. 117 was being delayed. So you were replacing Sonny. Right. And... Um, everything would have been moved out about three months and left her up there much longer. Right. So NASA had some decisions to make about whether it made sense to leave her or now that we have more lift capability on 117 because it got moved into the summertime, um, do we put clay on that vehicle? 
And that's what mm-hmm. ultimately happened was you got moved from 118 to 117, and we had less than six weeks' notice when they notified us for sure that you were being moved to a different crew. Right. And that was when Sue talks about we'll move into the summer gives you more lift capability. It's just due to the summer weather and the summer heating. It allows the shuttle to take more weight up into space. And with that, that meant a 200-pound astronaut and all his associated gear could be placed on the STS-117 crew of Atlantis with six astronauts, make it a seventh, and then that way I could be Sonny's knight in shining armor, and I could go rescue her from the perils of radiation damage to her body, which was part of the concern. Uh, I don't know if it was the entire concern, but that was one of the concerns was her radiation intake. So Absolutely, and, and just not having had, had anybody up there longer than six months. Um, and it would have taken her to almost nine right. if, if you'd stayed on 118. Um, but by being part of 117, you basically become a sack of potatoes, extra luggage, that kind of thing. You didn't really have a whole lot of roles <laughs> yeah. and responsibilities. That's what I called myself, the SOP, the sack <laughs> of potatoes. And it was funny because I spent really just one serious training session with the 117 crew. Uh, what happens in the flow is one of the things you do right before you launch is you have an all-day simulation that's called an on-orbit sim, and you pretend that you're in space, you're living and working and doing your thing, and we had just arrived in outer space, and we're converting the space shuttle into a uh, living and working vehicle versus a rocket. So I'm with the crew, and I remembered it pretty poignantly because... I felt pretty weird, right? Because right. I was with these guys. I knew them as astronauts, but I didn't really know them. I hadn't trained with them at all. I hadn't trained all. with them at all. And uh, I'd been off in Russia doing my thing, and these guys were all uh, shuttle astronauts at the time. So they didn't deal with any of that. And I remember being in this simulation. I kept offering my assistants, hey, can I help you with that? No, nah, I got it. Uh, can I help you with that? No, oh, I got it. They, and there, this was six really talented, really smart uh, type A Go-getter astronauts <laughs> led by a, a Marine commander who, uh, C.J. Sturko, I have the, the utmost respect for him uh, as a commander, uh, watching him work in space when we finally got there. But anyway, they were very regimented. They were very capable of doing their jobs. And so I ended up, during that eight hours, prepping everybody food. So Let's I, make lunch. I couldn't help. I couldn't help them put the computers together. I couldn't help them work on the shuttle, whatever system they were working on upstairs. But I could, I could rehydrate strawberries, <laughs> <laughs> and I could give them some carrots, <laughs> and that's that's what I did. Hey, do you want some uh, tropical punch mango juice? I can fix that up for you. So that was that, that was, was my job, role that in hours. that sim, and and then. Later, I would find myself on the launch pad with those guys. Yeah. Yeah, and and then the change for us, too, was, one, giving our families notice only five weeks before launch. Right. Um, You know, everybody normally makes their plans to go to Florida and, you know, launch parties and all those kinds of things. Hotel rooms. Everything changed and not having access to that. Yeah. Um, You know, our people ended up in hotels that they probably wouldn't have normally Stayed in. <laughs> because, you know, we didn't have enough notice. And same with us as a family. But I the mean, Motel 6 will keep the light on for them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one? <laughs> I don't I don't know. We were at the, uh, oh, no, gosh. No, no. Uh, well, the families all stayed at 
um, an interesting tropical place, but it was fun. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, and I had one interaction with um, the spouses of the crew members, um, and it was just the commander's wife and the um, pilot's wife. They took me to lunch one day, and that was really my whole experience with the crew families, um, where with the 118 families, um, we got together multiple times during the training flow, and our kids got to know their kids, and, you know, we all had a personal connection. So that was a little strange for us as well, um, in particular once we got to Florida. Um, well, we, in, in, the, in defense of the 117 <coughs> crew and spouses, it was traumatic for them in that they're getting ready to launch their spouse to space, right? And, right. They're, and they're on track. Uh, when the shuttle repair was done, they had to... They were all in Florida Move and for shake launch and getting ready to do their thing. And, and when we got at or our family got added, it was very difficult for them to carve out any space for us in terms sure. of orienting yeah, us and getting to know us and all that. And especially our kids, Cole and Sutton, you know, they they really didn't know any of the kids no. uh, on the crew. So all that combined uh, was kind of chaotic for me, the crew member, and the family. Yeah. Well, and, and once we were in Florida, just things like everybody already had their shirts and hats and all their NASA paraphernalia, and none of it had your name on it. And the only things that had your name on it were things that we'd been given um, because the, the patches and all of that had already been made, you know, way beforehand. And now there was this chevron that got added to the bottom of the patch that says Anderson. And it's super cool because it makes it look extra special, but very few of those actually exist. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, so that Chevron, as important as it was to us, didn't make a difference necessarily to anybody else. Um, and in fact, even to this day, if you go into Space Center Houston and look at the shuttle patch collection that's on the wall, it does not have the right. 117 patch with the Anderson with Chevron. With my name on it, yeah. yeah. I flew on that one, but my name's not on it. <laughs> so, yeah, there's just there were so many different things that people didn't really think about. And, and the fact that you were going to be a long-duration crew member and those guys were all only going to go for a couple of weeks. Um, not that that didn't happen on a regular basis because of the type of, of um, way we were trading crew members on board the space station, but it just was... Um, a whole different feel for our family. Right. And the 118 crew was more prepared for that and to be supportive where the 117 crew that wasn't really in their training or in their psychological support right. system. And so it just, um, it was very different for us. Yes. So then once we got there, um, we had a couple of events um, that Cole got to go to, but Sutton was too young. Um, one, one was a, a, a picnic, uh, at, well, there was the, well, let, let me just back up just a little and say okay. that I left home oh, in yeah. Houston, um, a full week or more before we were scheduled to launch. And my, I was told to go to astronaut crew quarters in Houston at the Johnson space center, right. where I spent a few days with the crew living in an apartment like environment at crew quarters where we, Received a little bit of training. Um, you know, we worked on our personal crew notebook that was our, our little note thing that would help us when we got to space remember right. everything. I forgot about that. And we bonded that. a little bit. We watched movies because C.J. Sturkow, the commander, had a set Schedule. group of movies that we had to watch. And, <laughs> you know, since I got moved late to the crew, I remember flying to the Cape with C.J. to kind of get my terminal 
countdown demonstration test, my TCDT, but it was over. It had already happened with the crew, but he flew me down to the Cape in so the T-38. that experience. And he let me have that experience. I got to drive the big old rugged tank. Oh, yeah. Right? When you escape from a, a bad day on the pad, you have to be trained to drive the big old army tank away from the launch pad. And he was, that's why I have so much respect for him is he took me there personally to do those sort of things and to go to the launch tower and to see the room where I was going to put my suit and parachute on. And then he took me to crew quarters. <laughs> and as part of his movie regiment, we sat down one night in crew quarters and we watched Cool Hand Luke. Because that was <laughs> This a, was at KSC and it was just yes, the two of you? Just the two of us. This was before uh, we were going to head down for launch, but I got my, my first movie requirement out of the way because then when we were in, we were in crew quarters in Houston, we watched additional movies my cousin Vinny, i believe <laughs> and the other one was um uh you can't handle the truth what one's that that's tom cruise and jack nicholson and, oh that's that uh, 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 ooh, uh what is the name of that movie everybody listening to the podcast is yelling out the name of that movie for us I and i can't that. remember the name of that movie but it's where jack nicholson says you can't handle the truth yeah and courtroom drama. Yeah, but anyway, so we watched all these movies. <laughs> can remember. Jim Riley, he drank scotch every night or bourbon, whatever it was. And CJ had told us, you can't work on your crew notebooks anymore. At this point, they should all be ready. We should all be ready to fly. So I put my crew notebook away, and I never looked at it again until we got space. And Riley, he just sat there, and he kept working on his crew notebook <laughs> and drinking his bourbon or his scotch. Well, he'd, was so, had a, he'd had some flight and experience. He's, yeah, he was a very experienced crew member, and it was funny. But then we got on planes uh, a few days later, and now I've been away from my family for three days. I get in a T-38 with Kevin Ford uh, because I was the odd man out, right? The uh, CJ flew with somebody, and uh, right, there were six there crew were members. six plus crew members, Clay. and so anyway, we arrive at the Cape, and we enter crew quarters at Kennedy Space Center. And so now I haven't seen my family. We're going to be there another three or four days. Well, you and I got a days. little bit of but time you at, and I did, yes. in, at JSC. We got to see each other, I think, once or twice and, then, and, and have a meal. Together, because in crew quarters, the, the staff prepares a family meal right. okay. for the crew. Yeah. But we hadn't seen the kids. And right. then when we got to the Cape, I knew I wasn't going to see Sutton because she was too young. And I was fortunate enough to see Cole simply because they had changed the rules. And the rule had been moved down that, it's, that a child that was 10 years old could now participate in the uh, beach house party with the spouses and crews uh, that happened on the beach um, a couple days before launch, I think. And it was that night that I brought my mother. Uh, Susan was there, um, Cole was there, uh, my brother, Kirby, and my sister, Lori. And that uh, was basically the last time I would get to hug my son, um, my brother, my sister. I would get to hug my wife, fortunately, on on the day before launch. But uh, um, poignant in my mind here is the memory of it was raining that day, and Cole was in the Little League uh, playoffs in yeah. League City, Texas. And Cole was a pitcher and a first baseman. And he brought his glove. And he to brought Florida, yeah. To Florida with a baseball, and he brought Dad's catcher's mitt. And the goal was the, the coach, Ali Velasco, still a dear friend, uh, had asked Cole to work out, to try to throw the ball every day. 
and keep his arm in shape while he was in Florida away from his practice time. And uh, we were at the beach house, and thankfully, thanks God, the rain subsided mm-hmm. for a brief period, and, and Sue and Cole and my brother Kirby and I walked down to the beach, and we marked off 46 feet or 45 feet, whatever the Little League pitching distance is. And Cole walked down with his glove, and, and he pitched to me. And my brother... <laughs> My brother videotaped it. Yeah. And has a great memory. We still have that video. Yeah. And I've watched it. It's it's actually in it's in the uh, documentary done by Nebraska Educational TV. I think there's a clip of and the homemade of that scene, the homemade astronaut, where Cole is winding up and throwing his dad a little heat on the beach at the Kennedy Space Center a couple of days before I launched into space. Yeah. So that for the people who are um, listening, then the next day um, we have a chance to do something called Wave Across the Ditch. Oh, yeah. And the spouses all get to be with their crew member, but none of the rest of the family gets to be with the crew member. But they get to go to this area near the launch pad, see the shuttle in the backdrop, and there are buses across the street, so you have... You have the shuttle, you have this fence line, you have the crew members and their spouses, a road, and then all these buses are lined up. And all the family members and guests that were included in this small number, I think there might have been 50 that got to come to the wave across the ditch. And they could stand on the other side of the road about 40 yards away, and we could wave at each other. (laughs) Yeah, and then the, the road used to be a ditch in the old days. When it happened, it was actually a real ditch. Um, but the road served as the ditch. Of course, we as astronauts, I got as close to the edge of the road as I could. And, and there was, I think there was a, something, an area cordoned off so they couldn't get beyond right, there a, was certain, a rope. certain mm-hmm. length. But they couldn't get behind the, or past the rope. And here I am with Sue, um, you know, in my flight suit, my STS-117 cap with the shuttle majestically in the background. And there's my whole family and I can't touch them. Yeah. I can't hug them. I can but only yell at them. you got to see them. Uncle Jim and I, yep. Lori and Kirby and his and family. and Todd Ryer was there, yeah. my roommate from Iowa State, and uh, David Ward. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a... My brother and sisters. Yeah, I mean, it was really fascinating. The hardest part for me that day, though... Was seeing Sutton. Was seeing Sutton. I remember Lori, my sister, uh, was holding her. Her mom was there. Yeah, mom was and mom there. had her oxygen in her nose because she was battling lung cancer at the time, and and uh, she wasn't the strongest, but she was. She was there, putting up a darn good fight to see her son launch for the first time. And but Lori had picked up Sutton, and Sutton was six. And as I looked across the road, uh, and tried to talk to her, and <laughs> oh man, I didn't. These memories are tough. Uh, I wanted to touch her, right? I wanted to hug her. I wanted to hold her. I wanted to say, hey, sweet pea, daddy loves you. And and I knew I was going to be away for at least five months. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't hugged her since I left Houston. And now here she is 20 feet away from me, and I can't hug her again. And she's six years old. She doesn't really understand. And uh, 
that's all I could do. That's the best I could do. But you know, we all went through that recently, didn't we? With the the quarantines that we've all been through over the last uh, year yeah. and a half. Yeah. Um, hey, you people are all just like astronauts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, having that quarantine experience um, and not being able to touch somebody you love. Yeah, very very similar situation. I also remember the the KSC the photographers from KSC that cover all this stuff of course they were there and they were snapping pictures all over the place and one of the pictures that we received uh in the end was susan and i hugging um and they had captured us directly in front of the space shuttle atlantis on the pad and at home that picture is in a frame and the top of the frame says my hero (laughs) and uh that's also a very special Absolutely. Picture and memory for me. So let's move to launch day. Um, and uh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't it was a super early morning launch, so that was really good. We it was got, like 4.30 in the afternoon, yes. Kennedy's time, I think. So we you know, ha- kind of had a normal morning where we were at the condo. and um, I was still in crew quarters. Yeah, well, of course. And then mm-hmm. um, there was, the, there's a tradition of making phone calls. Oh, on the launch pad phone calls. <laughs> yeah. So when the crew wakes up, we have our traditional breakfast um, at crew quarters. However, since our launch was so late in the day, we were having lunch, basically. Right. And I remember sitting around the table and watching CJ and Pat Forrester and Jim Riley, the three veterans on the crew with Steve Swanson, Daniel Levis and I were all from the 98 class of penguins, so we were all rookies. So I'm watching intently and listening, what are they going to order for lunch? Because I don't know what to order for lunch, right? I thought about steak and, you know, baked potato would be pretty good, right? I love steak and a baked potato. And then I'm thinking, holy crap, I'm going to puke all that up. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> as, I, as I listen to them, they all order sandwiches, basically, and chips. That's it. Right, and they don't eat much, right? So I order a roast beef and Swiss sandwich with some chips because that's what they did, and hoping and praying that I was not going to puke this up in later in a few hours, right? <laughs> and then as we got suited up, that was a a pretty crazy time, right? Because you go into your private little room at crew quarters, and there's a diaper waiting for you, and there's your long johns waiting for you. And your liquid cooling garment. And then you put all that on, and at your designated time, you walk into the suit donning room. <laughs> and that's where there's a bunch of, re- uh, like, recliners where yep. you guys sit. Yeah, they're your- fake leather recliners. <laughs> yeah, <they're- laughs> They've upgraded those recently. I'm sure they have. They've upgraded everything since I was here 30,000 years ago. <laughs> but we sat in those chairs, and uh, I-, I was kind of in awe, right? I, I thought about this my whole life, and here I was getting ready to do it. And that's the part that the public gets to see pre-launch is, on you know, TV, not, right. yeah, they put it on TV so that you can see them donning their suits and stuff. Because the KSC, of, the TV people are there, and yeah. you're waving at them, and they go to each crew member. and Tell a little and, story. Uh, yeah, that's neat. That's you put your neat suit experience. on, and you, you pressurize your suit to make sure it has no leaks, and then they depressurize you. And then the interesting thing is um, – just before you walk out to go to get on the van to travel to the launch pad, the commander has to play. You have to play a game of poker, basically. There's a name for it, and I, I never remember it. Um, I, I think of it as a, as a poker hand. So 
the head of the astronaut office takes a deck of cards and all the crews around the table, and he deals everybody a hand, and you basically look at your hand, who has the highest hand and the lowest hand, and if you lose, you're out, and you don't play the next hand. But the idea is you can't quit playing until the commander loses a hand, because when the commander loses his hand, that means all the bad luck is gone. Oh, I, I yeah. don't remember ever you hear, talking about yeah, this. Yeah, there's, there's so many things that... that it, this career has brought into my brain that nifty stories. That's why we're doing a podcast for goodness sake. And so that hand happens. And then basically you're given the okay to walk out and you walk out with CJ, man, it was commander pilot, MS one, MS two, mission specialist one, mission specialist two. And of course, Clay's in the back, right? Yeah, Cause you were the, Cause sack I'm the sack of potatoes. <laughs> so MS one, MS two, SOP sack of potatoes. So I'm walking out, and we're waving, and it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. It's late afternoon, and, and uh, we hop on the, the uh, Astro van, the silver van, after we wave to the press, and they take some pictures, and we get on the van. And, of course, there's a cooler water back there, and it's Florida, and it's June, and it's hot. And so they say, you know, drink water, you know, hydrate. And I'm thinking, I don't want to pee. I don't want to pee. I don't want to pee. <laughs> I'm not drinking water. I'm not going to pee because I don't want to puke, and I don't want to pee. But I have a diaper on. But we fast forward and we drive out to the to the launch pad. And as a crew, we exit the launch pad. We have our bags, our helmets in a bag, and we all look at the shuttle. We listen to it creak and groan because it is a live monster mm-hmm. with liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen flowing through the pipes, and it hisses and it steams, and it's just incredible. We get on the elevator, we go to the top floor, and that brings us to... Uh, what Sue was mentioning before about the telephone call. So on the 95-foot level, or the 195-foot level, which is the the height at which you enter the shuttle. So you're 195 feet above the surface of the beach in Florida, so you're way up there. Mm -hmm. And you're going to enter the shuttle in a certain order because that's required. The commander first, and then somebody on the mid-deck, maybe it was me, I don't remember. But anyway, you're in a line. And you're waiting your turn, and there's a dial telephone or a, a punch telephone on the cause the crossway, the crosswalk that takes you from the pad into the shuttle. And everybody gets a phone call, <laughs> kind of like when you're in prison, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I was going to be there for five months, for God's sake. But so when it was my turn, there's a lot of pressure on me. For a, I don't want to take too long because CJ was very regimented about, and and there's a timeline, right? Because you have a launch time to meet. And I remember you had to dial 8, believe it or not, to get an outside line. <laughs> so I pick up the phone, I dial 8, and I dial my wife's cell phone number. Was I, it the cell phone or were you calling the room? I can't remember, but anyway, go well, ahead. I, wherever you were right. uh, on launch day, I think it probably was a cell phone, wasn't it? I, don't, I, I just remember I was in the condo when it happened. Oh, well, whatever phone I was dialing, I, it clicks on and I hear Sue's voice. And I go, Sue, hi, honey, I love you. And she goes something like, it's Clay, it's Clay, I, I, I can't, I know it's Clay, I can't hear him, I can't hear him, I know it's Clay. And I, Sue, can you hear me? Sue, can you hear me? And, and she's freaking out on the other line. <laughs> My right? last phone call. I'm getting ready to go to freaking space, and she's freaking out. I don't need her freaking out. I need her to be really calm and smooth and sweet and say, good luck, honey. God will provide. Everything's going to be good. No, she's freaking out. Because I can't talk to you. And so I don't know what to do, and I think, oh, my God, I don't have much time. Should I hang up and redial? And that's what I did, right? I hung up, and I sit 
took the phone again. I hit eight, and I dialed her number, and I heard the click, and I go, Sue. And you go, oh, oh, I can hear you. I can hear you. I can hear you. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you, Lord. It was, it, it, you saved the day because we could talk to each other, and I don't remember what we said. No, it I wasn't much, but I, I can guarantee you that I said, I love you, Sue, and, and I'll see you in five months. Yeah. Yeah. And tell the kids that I love them because I couldn't talk to the kids. No, you only had, had like no 30 time. seconds. Yeah. And so that was my last talk with Sue until <laughs> I was going to be in, in freaking outer space. So I have another story that we forgot oh. to tell. Um, That's always good. Yeah. And, and it was really a very cool story. Um, ah, I know what's coming. We, um, the spouses got to do a pad tour of the vehicle right. the day before the launch. Um, so the astronauts and their spouses all got taken over to the pad, and then we got to actually go up to that 195-foot level that you had talked about um, where the phone is. And at that point, when we were on that tour, it's, it's cool. There are photographers there taking pictures of you underneath the external tank and taking pictures of you by the engines and taking pictures of you by the hatch and taking pictures of you everywhere. Very, very cool experience. Um, you but, can't touch anything. No. Can't touch can get, the shuttle. You can get, you get really close, close. But if you touch it, they're going to kick your butt. <laughs> so um, we get to this area that's 195 feet above ground, and this butterfly starts fluttering around Clay's head. Yeah. Um, little it, yellow butterfly. A little yellow it? butterfly, and he just flutters and flutters and flutters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we see it. It's cool. It's really neat. And then we walk across this gangway to get to another uh, walk, another uh, like walk platform, area, platform yeah. area, and it follows him. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we get to go to the two ten, which is well. But we started talking about the butterfly well, at that gangway. At that gangway, yeah, because it was following you. It was following me, uh, Susan and I. It was pretty emotional for us. We weren't talking a whole lot. We were holding hands. Uh, we knew that this was pretty much it, and we didn't know that I would ever come home again. True. Honestly, true. And uh, so I looked at Sue, and I don't remember how it exactly happened, but I said something to the effect of, you know, maybe that's dad. You know, I'd lost my dad in 1984 when he was only 54 uh, from a stroke and a heart attack. And, and as I saw this butterfly hovering around my head and we remarked about it, we, we talked about, well, this is kind of cool. I wonder and I, why he's here. And, and I said, well, maybe that's dad. Maybe that's dad. Yeah. And we both teared up. And then we moved on. We kind of giggled, but we moved on, and we went to this next gantry way, and the butterfly was still there. But but the kicker for us, I think, was yeah, when... Yeah, we got up to the two ten foot level where you get to get up close to the external tank at the point. Which is the tallest piece of that whole stack is right. the shuttle external tank and the little cone point on the top of the right. tank. And that's also where you could see all the damage that had been repaired, repaired yep. on the external tank. So yep. they had all these places where this glue had filled in the foam. <laughs> like pock and they, marks. Pock marks, in yeah. In a and dorm they, room. <laughs> and they even had numbers every place yeah. that, you know. So we were looking at that and all of a sudden there's the butterfly again. And, you know, we're in this big concrete block area um, launch pad with all this metal and we're 210 feet above ground and that butterfly's back again yeah who'd, it, who'd have thought a butterfly ghost flies 210 feet above sea level at a shuttle pad there's nothing and there's nothing to eat or you know there's right. no food there's, there's nothing no reason for, for him to be there right so it just it was very touching and and just a, a wonderful memory 
um, and something that you got to take with you. And then you launched on? I launched on June the 8th, 2007, and that day <laughs> was my dad's birthday. Yeah. He so, would have been 77 on that yeah. day. So that just made it even more significant that we feel like we got a visit from him the day before saying everything's going to be all right. I'm certain of it, and it yeah. panned out that it was okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 52 days later. <laughs> so, all right, so you've well, we me, told the story so, about that, and then we told the story about the phone call, and um, and then you go into the uh, – go the get sh- it, Go through where the guys do your final fit check, the guys in the white bunny suits. Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) this is a good story, too, because many of you who may have watched NASA TV in the past watch a launch and the crew's in their orange suit, and they're one by one getting suited up in their harness, their parachute harness, which the parachute in itself is on the the seat in the vehicle, so then you're going to clip your harness when you get inside to the parachute. So you're in your orange suit, you pull on your harness, they strap it in, these guys in the white uh, suits, the, the crew prep committee, they're, they're making sure everything's good to go. Well, a typical tradition is that there's a camera, right, because that's what you're watching on NASA TV, and it looks directly at the astronaut, and the guys put you in position to be looking right at the camera as they're cinching you up and as you're jostling around to make sure the straps aren't too tight. And, of course, I was pretty buff, so I had to, you know, that was a big deal. But typically, at least in the past, uh, crew members have been allowed to make a sign. Mm -hmm. And they would hold up a sign in in front of the camera, you know, I love you, Susan, I love you, Cole, I love you, Sutton. But CJ, uh, our dedicated Marine commander, uh, said, no, that ain't happening. You're not, we don't do signs. (laughs) Signs, signs everywhere, signs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to think of something, right, because I knew my family was watching. And so I came up with uh, a little hand signal, and I pointed two fingers to my eyes. I, and then I pounded my fist against my chest twice for I love, and then I pointed to the camera to say you. And my kids were watching. And so I did that for them. Yeah, that was really I had great. a big smile on my face at the time. Oh, yeah. I wasn't as emotional because I was pretty pretty pumped about what was going to happen yeah, in the, the next adre- hour or so. Yeah, but, the uh, adrenaline was going. As I think about it now, it's yeah. it's a very emotional experience for me. It but is. Uh, yeah. it, it, Sutton and I still do that today. Yeah. Uh, she's now 20 years old. And, and Golly. at certain times when I see her, it's I pump the heart point at her and and she says i heart you and then she gives me two fingers <laughs> i love you too so uh this whole episode and this whole adventure has created some great memories absolutely absolutely so i think that maybe um some of the other experiences that you talk about um in terms of launch and that sort of thing we can we can wait and talk about later um, because that's another podcast with you (laughs) well i'm thinking you on your own oh but i think another podcast with you would also be good yeah well because we haven't talked about life in russia a little bit we did well not much i don't know but so there are things that um maybe we talk about in terms of once you got to space instead of the whole launch experience let's talk more about um what happened once you got there and um, maybe the first phone call home and 
Oh, I can I can tell you. So we're in the very few first throws of of my trip to space. The first few days, right? Uh, if you go to my website astroclay.com and my or my YouTube video channel, you can find the video of me entering <laughs> the space station. So I've launched with this crew. Uh, you know, CJ was great. He gave me actual work to do and jobs to do, and he let me call down to the mission control, which was really cool, right? I'd never done that before in my entire life, and I probably wasn't scheduled to do that except for the fact that the commander graciously gave me some jobs he was supposed to do, and he, he they were pretty easy, so I knew I couldn't mess them up. And then he let me call down and say, uh, Houston, uh, Atlantis on air to ground one. This the such and such easy task is completed for the day. Right, and that's a pretty makes you feel pumped. Well, as we got into the shuttle and docked in flight day two, we had to enter the tunnels of the space shuttle Atlantis and fly through them, and then fly through the tunnel uh, for the pressurized mating adapter of the International Space Station because they're all connected, but they're not a straight shot. <laughs> they're at angles. Uh-huh. Well, nobody told me that if you fly in like Superman into the shuttle tunnel. And just keep flying in that way into the station that you won't come in right side up on the station. So uh, when I entered, the last person to enter <laughs> the International Space Station, the sack of potatoes came in upside down. And I remember looking, and all I could see was hairy legs, right? They all had shorts on. I'm going, why the hell is everybody upside down? And it was you. And it was me. <laughs> I was upside down. But being me, I stayed upside down. And so I floated in, and I remained upside down, and we did our little highs and hellos and shaking hands, and I figured, hey, uh, this is a great precursor <laughs> to me <laughs> being in space for 152 days because I'm not going to be your... The legacy of Clayton Anderson. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be the ordinary spaceman. I'm going to do it my way, and that way was upside down. Uh, and if you fast forward through the mission a little bit, um, it looked like I was going to go home right away yeah um we got uh, notified on the ground by our crew support astronaut chris cassidy um who just recently retired from nasa um now just this last may um but uh at the time he was our crew support astronaut he came up to me and he said hey look there's been a glitch on board and it may affect the mission um and so you know mission control and and uh, ground control over it in um, Star City, uh, well, actually at the Soup uh, in Moscow, and um, and locally we're all working on a solution with the crew on what we can do, but it looks like they may be coming home. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, great. All of this, all of these things that have happened over the last three and a half years. 118, move them up early to 117. Just the training, ah. the return to flight, and the year delay after return to flight. I mean, there were just so many things that have ha- happened up to then. And I'm thinking, all that, and he's coming home in four days. <laughs> well, and, wow. and being up in space, when we finally learned this, the, the reason behind it, or some of the reasons behind it, was the shuttle crew at 117 had brought a solar array. And the solar array was immediately on flight day two or three. It was removed from the shuttle's payload bay, put on the shuttle arm, then handed off to the station arm to be put in position to attach it, after which uh, Jim Riley and Pat Forrester and Steve Swanson and Danny Levis were going to do spacewalks to hook everything up. Mm-hmm. Well, Riley and Forrester, or Riley and, no, Riley and Danny did the first spacewalk, and when they hooked the electrical cables up, 
then that meant it was time to unroll the big solar array. Well, as soon as you unroll a solar array and your cables are hooked up, the sun hits the array, it generates electricity, and the electricity starts to shoot through those lines. And poof. Well, in, in the Russian segment, there was a box, an electrical box that had condensate behind it, which is not a good thing in outer space with electricity. It's not a really good thing on Earth either. But the overall picture was when the fl- current started to flow and the condensation had caused issues that the box went <laughs> Nice. And when the box went all six, all six of the major command and control computers on the Russian segment went Oh, nice. And they shut off. All six of them. Well, that's a big deal because there's six of them (laughs) on the Russian side and there's six of them on the U.S. side pretty much that are basic computers that run everything. And so now the whole half of the Russian space station is is basically dead. And so I'm thinking, damn, all I went through, all that training, all that time in Russia, and I got to go home already? That ain't right. Well, I underestimated my Russian crewmates, Oleg and Fyodor. They did their thing with Russia in the Russian control center. And uh, the Tsup, as Sue calls it, is like the center upravlenia, the control center for Russia. It's called the Tsup. And Oleg and Fyodor went behind the panel. And long story short, they cut the cables on this box. They took the box out. They took the cables, spliced them back together. And And all six of those babies came back up. And everything was rocking and rolling. Life was good, and I wasn't going to have to leave the International Space Station. So that was an epiphany, a wonderful moment. I mean, it's funny how I would go through all this and get into outer space, and the thing that was bugging me the most was going home early. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me five months later, and that was not the problem. (laughs) But... uh, after that mission was over, there's a story that goes with the end of this. So the SCS-117 crew, has their mission's complete. It was six, seven, eight days, I don't remember, but they're done. All the EVA's complete, everything's good. And CJ pulls his crew together. We're at the pressurized mating adapter hatch that attaches to the space shuttle or to the space station's lab module and that's where the video is all taken and cj hands off or says goodbye and and sunny and i shake hands and and she's going to go home and and be back on earth and and they're all going to get ready to leave so cj has told them their designated exit order uh, CJ went first, and, and I don't remember who went, but Danny Olivas was the last one was to the go. Last one to go, except for you. Except for me, I'm you, I'm not going. You're not leaving. And so here we are at the open hatch, and it's just me and Danny Oleg and Fyodor. They've they've hauled off and gone back to the Russian segment to do whatever it was they were going to do. And we're standing there, and Danny and I are classmates, selected in 1998. We've been working together, training together, get to know each other. Our family's getting to know each other. And Danny <laughs> is floating there, and he looks at me, and he sticks out his hand, and he sh- we shake hands, and he looks me in the eye, and he goes, man, I'm glad I'm not you. And then he just flies oh, through God the freaking hatch. Holy. I know. That's brutal. It was brutal. And, it, and what made it even worse was my next job was to close the hatch, make sure it was sealed, do the pressure check so that they could undock, which takes a while. But all that happens. And the last thing in my head is Danny Olivas saying, man, I'm glad I'm not you. And then he leaves. And then it comes to total 
total circuitousness or whatever the word is. When that's a big word, it's it's not even a word. I don't think, but it, it comes to. <laughs> To, to to the total end is when then I'm looking in the lab and the lab has a big window on the bottom of it that looks at Earth all the time. And here I am alone, the only United States astronaut on board the International Space Station, with no end in sight <laughs> for now, listening to Danny's words run through my head over and over and <laughs> over again. And then I look down through the lab window. And, there and goes what do the I shuttle. see? I see the space shuttle Atlantis slowly flying underneath me right through that window to disappear forever. Oh, God. That was a tough day. Yeah. And that was one of those times when me, the ordinary spaceman, said, what the hell have I got myself into? Right, right. <laughs> Well, we've got lots more to talk about uh, and share. So um. The story continues. The making of an ordinary spaceman. Thank you, love. Susan Anderson for being with me again. And hopefully we'll have you back and tell some more stories. Well, we'll see. I'll think about it. Yeah, I know. I've probably got to have to take her shopping or something. I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> Please rate, review, follow, and subscribe as it helps others find my podcast. Thank you for listening. And a special thank you to my dear friend Chip Davis of Mannheim Steamroller fame for the use of his talents and music. A Huda Media Production.